What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, and welcome back to the Tomahawk Take Podcast. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, and with me as always is Alan. Hello there. And Fred. Don't pay the ransom, I escaped. And we are battling all of us now through a little bit of voice constraints at the moment, uh, going through COVID and all the other stuff, just like everybody else. And uh, Fred coming off of a, a long conversation, talking about some Atlanta Braves baseball as well. Um, so going to battle through this one here on today's episode, but excited to get back together because it's been a little while just because we all have had some various stuff going on personally. And it's not much happening during the lockout right now, but uh, things do seem to start to pick up a little bit here in the past week or so. Had the international prospect signings going on. You got some updated prospect lists coming out as well, so that's always fun to talk about. Sounds like MLB and MLPA are starting to get together and starting to feel some pressure for a deal, so hopefully that'll be coming soon. So we'll talk about that, and we'll also talk about the Hall of Fame voting as well, which will be coming out next Tuesday. So uh, we talk about a little bit of all of that on today's podcast, but let's start out with the Braves news, which is that they are signing international prospects again, or at least signing them at a major level, signing major talent. Braves got two guys that were ranked inside Baseball America's top 31 in the international signing period in Diego Benitez and Douglas Glott, hopefully I'm saying that right. We'll probably found out in like five years. Um, but the Braves are in business again. The sanctions have been listed. They had over $5 million to spend on international prospects. So they were able to become big players in the international market once again, which is great news for the Braves farm system. Uh, it's been going down the last several years, which is understandable because they had a lot of great prospects come up, which led to a World Series. So that's typically what is going to happen, especially when you go through a rebuild. But now they're out of these restrictions, able to kind of stockpile some young 
international prospects at the lower levels, and hopefully you hit on a couple of those, and maybe one becomes Ronald Acuna Jr. or Ozzie Albies. So that is certainly big news for the Atlanta Braves. We're not going to go much into detail on any of these players that they signed. I know Alan wrote an article on the signings over at TomahawkTake.com if you want to go check that out. But full transparency, these kids are 16, 17 years old. I mean, it is really difficult to judge how they're going to be in five or six years once they fully mature. But again, at the very least, Alan, it's great that the Braves are back in this market, able to spend big money and to be able to hopefully find, you know, the next international superstar that comes over like Ronald Acuna or Fernando Tatis Jr., somebody of that ilk. The Braves at least have an opportunity to get some of those highly thought of international prospects now. Right. And even though that you may see a lot of dollars spent on, on a particular player, that really doesn't necessarily translate to uh, future success. Uh, we certainly we saw the dollars that they spent just before the penalties got imposed, and none of those kids are panning out. The uh, most they've spent so far this year is, I think, $1.3 million, $1.5 million on one of the kids but i mean heck ronnie acuna got a hundred thousand as a signing bonus so you you never can tell and you're you're right that the ages of 16 and 17 you're you're making your best guesses certainly and there are kids that are going to look better than the rest in in a group at the even at this age but it does not necessarily mean that they're going to be major leaguers so you got to keep on them keep keep watching them and and see what happens the three that are the most uh, cited looks like are are Diego Benitez, Douglas Claude and and Juan Beto I'll add as well saw a little video on on Beto he looks like a future slugger perhaps don't know if his bat-to-ball skills are going to translate to a major league caliber, but uh, that's what we find out at this uh, level and the next uh, several years as they uh, progress through the Dominican uh, Summer League and such. Basically, the 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 way this thing goes is like this. They'll uh, now be uh, taken to the Dominican Summer League, to the Braves Academy in, in the Dominican Republic. They'll continue their schooling. They'll continue uh, working on baseball and if they make it off the island and to the states to uh, professional ball in the minor league levels, uh, low A and, and beyond, that's when you can start paying attention to them, really, because that means they're good. They're deemed good enough to compete with the kids that are stateside, and then we'll see what happens from there. But uh, until that happens, it, yeah, you're right. It's it's lottery picks, lottery tickets, and uh, we'll just have to uh, follow these kids. But the fact is. The Braves now have some, and that's the good news, is the penalties are over, and we're going from there. And you mentioned lottery tickets, the term lottery tickets, and Fred, that's really what a lot of these international prospects are, and where I find them, it seems degrading to talk about like this, but where I find them useful is in trades. We saw a trade last year with the Cubs where they essentially you know, traded a player, significant player, for four international prospects and you know just hoping one of them hits and I think that's something that the Braves have been missing you know in trade discussions where you have a you know that throw in 17 18 year old that you can throw into a deal as a a lottery ticket for that other team to kind of entice a deal and now the Braves you know will start to have that opportunity again in trade talks 
Yeah, you know, I, I know as much about these uh, these new signings as I do about building an airplane. But the, the truth of the matter is that if you went down to your local high school and said everybody that's got a driver's license and plays baseball holds your hand up, you would be picking picking people the same age as the people were drafting out of these islands and giving three and four million dollars to who, as Alan said, may never be anything. You know, the David Letterman, is this is this anything? Well, probably not. Somebody wrote on the take uh, about where the draft picks, well, the international picks we lost are now, and the answer is nowhere. Uh, so this is really, I, I understand grabbing talent at some degree, but the idea of an international draft has to fry the union's grits for them because that's going to mean four and five million dollars going to players who may never make the major leagues and you've got major league players working for six hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or whatever it's going to be next year that's to me that's wrong i agree with the union on that and i think that you know if i was doing this i would say hey be 18 and we'll talk to you Mm -hmm. Uh, but i i don't see i don't see mlb doing it because the teams use these players like grist for a mill, and I don't know what the percentage is, but I suspect it's it's a very small percentage of them actually have an impact at the major league level. You get an Acuna, you get an Albies in there, yes, and you know you you pick up a a, 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 a these players that come through turn into turn into something. The uh, Mariano Rivera's that come up, but you also get the Christian Betancourt, the Betancourts come up. To me, it just seems wrong to do this. I, I've covered the draft for years and looked at it and written about it, and I report what's out there. But, boy, it tells me I just worry about doing this to kids who um, come to the United States um, and all of a sudden they have millions of dollars, and they act like they're a teenager with millions of dollars. And people get upset about it. So I'm glad that the Braves have them because there's, it fills holes in the minor leagues. And these players are young enough to try to build them into something. But I'm not sure how badly it hurt us over the years. But I'm glad that they, I'm glad that it's back. I just hope we get good players out of this. And I think at this point, that's what you're doing is wishing and hoping. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think the system's going to change. I mean, there's been talk of an an international draft, you know, perhaps being on the horizon. I think it's definitely on the back burner as far as negotiation talks go right now. But I, you know, I agree with you. I don't like the way it it all kind of works out right now. To me, it's kind of the way with college, you know, mainly football, but I mean, basketball, baseball as well, where you're recruiting eighth graders. I mean, you're recruiting kids, you know, and just projecting what they might be and, and you're doing the same thing with this. I mean, there's players now that have, you know, you know, oral deals for at 14 years old that, you know, they're committed to, they'll sign with such and such a team whenever they can. It feels like a shady business. It can be a shady business. The Rays were, were very, you know, obviously caught up in that and were penalized heavily for it. I don't believe they were the only ones doing it, but we've talked about that before and they were the ones that got caught and they got punished. I think it is a very shady, you know, business the way that it's done, and I hope it is changed in the future that there's a better way to do it. But 
all that to say the Braves are doing it again. So that is, you know, everybody else is able to do it. So now the Braves are back in there and able to, to spin again. And again, like we said, hopefully one of these kids turns out the percentages are low that, that they do. Um, but they at least have that opportunity now to sign some of these kids. And like I said, at least have them for, you know, depth in the minor leagues as well as trade chips in future negotiations. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about uh, the Hall of Fame, and then we'll get into the, the labor talk. But you got the Hall of Fame voting coming up next Tuesday, and we may not see a lot of people get voted in. We may not see anybody get voted in. I think it will be, you know, a very interesting turnout to see what the how the voting ends. Right now, I think the latest I saw is that. David Ortiz, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens were over the 75% threshold, but not over enough to where the unpublished ballots won't, you know, put them back under that numbers the way that it, it will usually turn out. So I, I don't know if we're going to get anybody in. If anybody gets in, it's probably going to be David Ortiz, but the whole Hall of Fame voting system for me, I've just kind of, written it off right now just because it's a mess voters don't know what to do hall of fame doesn't give them a clear direction on what to do as far as you know suspected pd users goes so it's all just kind of a mess at the moment but alan i'll start with you just your thoughts on the hall of fame voting who do you think think gets in I have always been of the uh, stated opinion that uh, those who are guilty of cheating do not deserve to be enshrined with the sport's highest honor. And in my mind, that certainly applies to the poster children of the steroid era who are Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Uh, As far as whoever else may be in that boat, that's hard to tell um, in, in a lot of cases. Uh, you, you've got some guys like Manny Ramirez who I think had two failed drug tests. He should not be getting votes, in my opinion. Uh, David Ortiz has a, a bit of a disputed record on that, uh, but, boy, he had a really great season at age 40. I don't <laughs> you know. You have to wonder, at least, uh, uh, about him. I right now on the public ballots that have been uh, tabulated by Ryan Thibodeau, uh, not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter, he is at almost 84%. I think that's probably enough that's going to let him squeak in once the private uh, non-public ballots are are uh, found out next week. Uh, it's going to be close, in, in my opinion. I do think that uh, Clemens and Bonds are going to be pulled back probably close to 70%, which is not going to be enough. And this is their last trip to the ballot, and that's fine by me. Um, just going through the, the the rest of the ballot, Andrew Jones is getting a little bit better consideration uh, as, as we go along. Uh, he is at 49%. Last year was at 34%, although public votes uh, – were much more kind to him than private ones. So he may still be back in into the 30s by the time we, we get along here. This is his fifth trip to the, the ballot box, though, so he's he's about halfway through. He does continue to get steady improvement and might get in there by the time he's done. It's hard to say. Um, 
but there, there's not a lot of others really right now that are looking good for this. Uh, Kurt Schilling basically um, it has become a political uh, football and told everybody he didn't want to be on the ballot this year at all, and some the voters seem to be taking him at his word, and so he's not getting uh, consideration here on his last year at the ballot. So uh, I, I, I feel for guys like Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, who are hovering around 50%. Um, I would like to see them both in. Um, I would like to see um, – some more consideration for some guys, maybe like uh, Jeff Kent, even though he uh, didn't exactly uh, uh, help out in the clubhouse with the media. <laughs> um, that shouldn't be a factor, but uh, it seems that uh, there may be some residual effects there. I won't go through the entire thing because I'll, I'll steal some Fred's thunder, but uh, that seems to be uh, the way, way things are going right now as as I'm seeing them. Yeah, I Definitely agree with that, Fred. Your thoughts on the the voting process and who you think might get in? Well, uh, I go back to the go back to the uh, question that was asked after the after the Constitution was signed by the United States. What, what form do we have? What form of government do we have? Is that the worst one, except for all the rest? I'm not sure. I mean, I have my complaints with the voting system. I think if you like ballot in two years, or you vote for people who clearly do not belong in the Hall of Fame. For instance, if your ballot this year contains Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Jack, Jake Peavy, Jonathan Papelbon, Mark Teixeira, uh, and so on, uh, you, you should lose your vote, okay, because that's just that's stupid. I would like them to qualify the players a little more, and they do have a committee that picks the players, uh, but it's hard. Somebody said, well, you ought to take all the bias out of it. Well, there's no way of doing that. Voting is bias. Voting is your personal opinion. If it was not your personal opinion, it'd be done by a computer. And there, somebody has started a hall of stats out there, and that's where you'll find those guys. But the players in the Hall of Fame don't usually do, but don't have to have the best stats. If you, My dad used to say, if you want, look at a player and you know that player, and when that player comes to the plate or goes on the field, you expect something special, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Now, Bond's excluded because he had so much P so many PEDs in him that he could have probably kept playing for 30 years. He rotted away. His corpse may not even rot for 100 years after he dies. But uh, David Ortiz, his last year on the road, he carried a trainer and, and a uh, physical with him so that his legs would hold up and he could play. Uh, he was tested every year, multiple times. After uh, they implemented this, he never turned up positive. He, there was never a breath of anything with Ortiz with, uh, uh, for PEDs. Uh, the word came out that the, uh, some of the people who tested positive in, in that first round of tests that weren't going, ever going to be released, ha ha, uh, were false positives. Uh, I think David belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I think he's the first ballot guy because if you can name me a better uh, designated hitter, and boy, I hate myself for here saying this because I really think the designated hitter is a disgrace. But if you think, if you're going to put the best player of his generation at a position and you consider the DH a position, there's none better than David Ortiz. And when the, when the game was on the line, Big game, postseason World Series, you wanted David Ortiz at the plate. We saw him do it dozens of times. Um, I, I, I would vote for Ortiz 
Scott Rowland gets my vote because if you look at him next to Chipper, he's pretty pretty close to Chipper. Schilling belongs in because big game pitcher. Um, maybe not my favorite guy. That's neither here nor there. Todd Hilton should have been in years ago. Andrew Jones should be in. Billy Wagner should be in. And Jeff Kent should be in. That's the extent of the people on this ballot that I would personally vote for. Um, I, I, I just—it's a disgrace that Andrew Jones isn't in. Uh, somebody said, "Well, you know, his last year." I said, "Well, okay, he came up at 19 years old. Flip his flip his career around and put his last years at the first, and let him finish with those ten year, those ten or twelve, those ten years of consecutive Gold Gloves, and he's in the Hall of Fame. You, uh, the pitchers who pitched in front of him." The players who played alongside of him, they know he's a Hall of Fame player. You looked at Andrew Jones and you said, there's nobody better. And that's the guy that belongs in the Hall of Fame. You looked at Todd Helton, you say, nobody hits as well as Todd Helton. At Coors, away from Coors, Todd Helton was a hitter. Billy Wagner, geez, do I have to say this? Tell, Billy Wagner's as good a closer as has ever been in the game. I'm sorry, Mariano Rivera. Um, he didn't have the Yankees behind him every time he took to the field. I, I, and Jeff Kent's the be, simply the best-hitting second baseman in Major League history. Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? Because he's not a nice guy. Nice guys, you don't have to be a nice guy. You have to be the best. And at, at his position, at second base, Jeff Kent was was pretty good player and a damn good hitter, and he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the rest of them, you know, there's uh, people making trying to make a case that Bobby Abreu is as good a hitter as uh, Tony Gwynn. Please go away and don't talk to me again if you believe that. That's just not true. You can make numbers. My dad used to say <laughs> numbers, numbers lie and liars, liars speaking numbers. Uh, you know, it, it's you can make anything look good on paper, um, and because his numbers are close, don't make him a Hall of Fame player. But uh, there are ten on the ballot or close to it that should be in there, and uh, I, I I think the ballots, the voters are getting smarter. I just hope they don't give in to the. Uh, if he was good before a certain date, tie and time, he would, he's, he deserves to be in because, uh, you know, the, if those people aren't voting for Lance Armstrong to be re- reintroduced as a champion biker and Marion Jones to get all her medals back, they should shut up because of hypocrites. I'll go to my room now. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I co-sign, you know, pretty much everything you're saying right there. I, I've never understood the argument that if they were a Hall of Fame player before they took steroids they deserve to be in the hall of fame you know first of all how do you know exactly when they started and how do you know their career wasn't extended and their hall of fame resume improved because of taking steroids so i'm definitely on board with that idea i believe i'm on board with just about everybody you said that should get in um as well i'm on the fence about david ortiz always been a little bit skeptical of him but and we talked about it beforehand you know, I'm more so just of the belief that you're a DH, you're playing 15 minutes a game. That's tough for me to put you in the Hall of Fame. But if you are the best at that position, and it is a position, even if we don't like it, then I can understand you, you need to put that in baseball history. And like you said before we were recording, Fred, you know, once Edgar Martinez got in, you know, that was going to open up the the doors for the next best DH to get in, and that is David Ortiz. So I won't be, you know, upset, certainly if he gets in, and I think he will get in. You talked about Jeff Kent not being a media darling. Well, David Ortiz was, and he's going to get a lot of votes because of that as well, and deserving votes because, like I said, the best DH 
at his position for a generation. That's also why I think Billy Wagner should be in maybe the best left-handed closer of all time. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. When you're the best at a particular position during your decade, you need to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's why I believe Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame. And obviously, you know, being a Braves podcast, we're a little bit biased, but I think people are starting to catch on to that a little bit. Andrew Jones is quite possibly the best defensive center fielder the game has ever seen. And, you know, I wasn't around to see Willie Mays and others back in the day, so I can't give a just comparison, but there's nobody I've ever seen play that position better than Andrew Jones. He did it for 10 straight years. He should be in the Hall of Fame. My argument has always been if Ozzie Smith is in the Hall of Fame, and we all know that Ozzie Smith is only in the Hall of Fame because he was the best defensive shortstop the game has ever seen, then why is that not true for Andrew Jones, who was the best defensive center fielder we've ever seen at a primary position like center field? Why is he not in, but Ozzie Smith is? And not to mention Andrew Jones has you know over 400 home runs to go along with that. So, again, I know we're a little bit biased as Braves fans and this being a Braves podcast, but for me, Andrew Jones is a, a no-brainer, should get in the Hall of Fame. I hope he does get in the Hall of Fame one day, and I, I think he will. Maybe it, it might take a Veterans Committee to do so, but I think he will eventually get in at some point. You know, there's another aspect to this, too, the, the uh, notion that Jeff Kent is not getting in because he's not a nice guy. Well, if the not-so-nice guys can't get in, then why aren't the nice guys getting in, like a Fred McGriff or Dale Murphy? You know, the, those kind of guys need to get some credit for their roles as ambassadors to the game, and they're not getting anything that way. So, I was going to say, this is still the most difficult Hall of Fame in any any sport to get into. I mean, in the NFL Hall of Fame, if you were a good guy and you showed up, you're probably going mm-hmm. to get in. I I just, I and I, I can't really talk about basketball because I never watch it. It's boring. So I, I, just, I just think that we have to take a step back and look at what everybody else is doing and say, you know, <laughs> we're doing pretty good at this. Uh, and I like to separate. The records from the people when we're talking about the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a museum, and all the records are in there. Bond's records are in there. Pete Rose's records are in there. Shoeless Joe Jackson Jack records are in there. Everybody that was on the Black Sox, their records are in are are shown at the Hall, and uh, were they're really good players, and they were they're some of them are in the Hall of Fame for the role in the Black Sox. That's the museum side of this. The differentiate differentiator for me is that the actual members of the Hall of Fame have a character clause that says they were good sportsmen. You cannot be a good sportsman if you're cheating every other player in the game. That's not good sportsmanship. That's cheating. You don't belong in the Hall if you cheat. That's my position on it. They say, well, Bonds should be in the hall. Well, he's in the hall. You go down and look at who holds the home run record, who's done the most home runs in the season, stolen bases, home runs. All the things that Bonds did are in the hall. But the individual, the person, in my view, isn't worthy of the, of the club, the, the exclusive club that is, are, includes the members of the Hall of Fame. 
Now, I know they aren't all perfect. I, I understand that. There are players in that group that I wouldn't put in there. But none of them are cheaters. Bonds cheated. Clements cheated and sent the drugs for his wife. I mean, give me a break. So, really, they should go to the room, talk amongst themselves about how, how important they are, and stay away from everybody else who's trying to enjoy an honest game. I, I have my faults with the Hall of Fame. I fight about the Hall of Fame. I have this discussion every year. I'm, you know, but when you come down to it, the writers could do a lot worse than they're doing. And the difference between Kent and the guy, the good guys are that the good guys don't have the numbers. If the guy, good guys have the numbers and it's a choice between a guy, a good guy with the numbers and a bad guy with the numbers, both of them should go in. But the good guy will get the push in this case. That's human nature. That's what happens when you vote. If you don't believe me, look at your local elections. You make a good point in the fact that we do get heated about the Hall of Fame every year. Every year this comes around, you know, not just we in particular, everybody. A lot of people get heated about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and it is because it it is such an exclusive class. It is something special to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like you said, it's not like other sports where if you were a good player for a couple of years, I, I don't even – I don't even know who goes in the NFL or NBA Hall of Fame. I don't even ever see an announcement about it. And maybe people care about it. I'm sure, you know, people who are big fans of those leagues do. I, I could care less. I don't even I don't even pay attention to who gets into those Hall of Fames. But the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, it is exclusive. And that's why people are so passionate about it. I've always been, you know, a small hall person. I, I love the exclusivity of it. I, I love that it's such a small group. It's so hard to get in there. I just think the steroid situation, the PED situation has really messed things up and kind of, you know, well, it has. It's messed things up because there's no clear direction for the writers what to do. There's no clear way to know exactly who did or if there's already somebody who's gotten in that used steroids. So it's really just kind of messed up the, the voting process. But you're right, Fred. I mean, more times than not, the writers do get it correctly. I do believe um, and it is still an exclusive class to get into. I just can't wait till we're past all the people from that steroid era. Now we have, you know, A-Rod on there. We're going to have to get through that as well. But hopefully once we get through all of that, you know, we'll get back to a little bit. You know, we can talk about just exactly who should be in or out based on their career and not should be who, who should be in or out based on steroids. So, again, we – we get heated about it. We talked about it because it is something that is so passionate to baseball fans because it is such an exclusive club that I think a lot of people honor and, and cherish. Again, that group, like you said, there are, there are stats, there are records that are in the Hall of Fame. So being part of that Hall of Fame class is something special. And, you know, it comes with a, a price as well. You have to earn it you know, on the field and, and do it the right way. pivot here for a little bit because I want to talk about something else that is messed up and, and ugly and that is labor discussions and 
Major League Baseball and the owners did deliver a proposal to the players a week and a half ago, and players just immediately responded and said they didn't like it, um, which is what they always say. No surprise there. Owners made some uh, changes for raising the minimum uh, for pre-arbitration players, which I think is a good move, and I think that's definitely a move that should be made. Um, but apparently the players weren't very happy with that because the changes really didn't affect those who make a lot of money in the way that I kind of viewed it. But it sounds like the players are now finally uh, on Monday going to deliver their counter proposal. And what is great news is that it will actually be done in person. So both sides will be sitting down together. I know Fred has mentioned it several times. These two just need to get down in a room and say, we're not leaving until we figure this out. Hopefully we're getting to that point. Hopefully both sides are starting to feel a lot of pressure as we're getting close to February and getting close to where pitchers and catchers should be reporting. So I'm taking this as a good sign, Alan, that the two sides are getting together. I'm not optimistic anything will happen early next week, but at least with the two sides meeting in person, I'm hoping they get a lot of accomplished and at least make up a lot of ground as far as getting to a a conclusion with the CBA. Yeah, I'm not buying my spring t- training tickets quite yet here, but <laughs> at the same time, at least it is some movement. And up to this point, the players really hadn't provided any proposals of their own. They'd just been simply reacting to those that have been coming from the owner's side. So the the fact that they're getting engaged is a at least a, a start, I, I'd say. I do think we're a long way away, and and this is going to be a while before we get things uh, to something substantive. But uh, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of curious how this is going to come all out. Uh, I started to do a post, and, and uh, it stalled almost immediately on where I thought uh, the Braves might uh, – be hurt if there was a change to the length of uh, time before free agency uh, as to which players might disappear the fastest. Uh, and I don't know that there's going to be any changes this year to that. It's just flat too late uh, to grandfather anybody into this year and, and say, okay, you, you thought you were doing your third arbitration year? Okay, you're a free agent now. Uh, way too late for that. Uh, but next year uh, is when I, I think some of these changes might happen and, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how teams react if there is in fact a change that way. Um, other things that I've been talking about, um, expansion of playoffs right now, we've got 10 teams involved, uh, and the, the, in the, in the postseason and the, Proposals seem to be between 12 and 14. I wouldn't mind seeing a couple more teams involved, but 14 seems like it's too much. Yeah, that's what the owners want, but eh, that's just that, that's a lot. Beyond that, um, DH in the National League seems inevitable. Darn it! Uh, I don't know what they're uh, considering currently in terms of uh, uh, draft lotteries and and such. Uh, sounds like the the early uh, early proposal I heard, which is just uh, taking the top three teams and throw them in a hat. I, I personally don't think that's enough. If you're going to uh, do something, I still 
like uh, Jason Stark's proposal, take all non-playoff teams and and make them go in in order of finish from highest to lowest. First, uh, the the team that just missed out on the playoffs goes first in the draft. I think that that would be a great way to get some teams motivated to do something uh, towards the postseason and, and avoid tanking. So you, you, you've got a lot of things that are, are going in public discourse right now, and I don't know that they're going to get even half of this stuff discussed, much less agreed upon in the next month, which is all you got. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see between now and, and future uh, how they want to address some of these things. Yeah, to me, a lot of those are minor things that could be agree. Yeah, ha- hashed out pretty easily. Fred, I think there's still some pretty major talking points from the player side that the owners really don't want to address and haven't addressed yet. So mainly, you know, talking about a, a salary cap and a larger salary cap. But what do what do the owners have to give into here in order to make some progress with the players? What are the players so hung up on? Well, I think. First of all, I think the minor stuff, if, if the truth were known, I've, I've done some negotiations years ago with, for other kind of things. But once the big stuff is done, you'll find out that they, that they have the little stuff in their pocket ready to go. I mean, the number of teams in, in the in the lottery pot, uh, the MLB wants three and the union want eight. Well, gee, it's really easy to settle on five or six at this point. Uh I mean that's 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 something that can be fixed right away. The union wants to fix service time manipulation. That's not hard. I mean honestly, it's not hard. Quit moving the day around. If he's got two years and a hundred days, he's a super two. How about that? Not hard to do because we know where the super two falls every year. And we know that if the player comes up and you send him back down for that, doesn't make any difference. If he gets a hundred days that season He's going to come with that. Cutting the 100 days off a season is is pretty hard to do. 186 days, you'd have to keep that player away for 86 days to stop that. So I, I, you know, I just the union wants to lose the extra year of arbitration, and the owners don't want to give it up. There's a way to modify the Super 2 to make everybody happy and prevent this uh, from coming up. There's always going to be a way of stopping it. The union needs to understand that. In fact, I, I think they probably do. But that the, the service time manipulation is a thing that's on their plate. They want to raise the minimum salary. They want to change the way arbitration's done. Now, you can do all those things without cutting a year off of arbitration, which the owners want control. You can do all those things for that, but first you have to be willing to negotiate to align. Everybody that goes into a negotiation knows what their stated position is and how far they'll go. You can't sit on that stated position. You can't go in and say, well, this is a drop-dead thing. We're not going here if you don't do that, because guess what? That's not going to happen. Uh, you're going to come back, and you're going you're to make an agreement. But I don't think that agreement is what Clark wants right now. Clark wants blood. He felt like he got cheated in 2016, and he may have done because he cheated. Uh, but Manfred was less than was disingenuous, let's say, in his negotiations, uh, and confused him, and 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 you know, 
maybe you win negotiations that way, but you, yeah, it's a battle won and a war that escalates is what he's finding out. Um, I think service time manipulation is it. My minimum salary is it. Uh, I think they want to, loot, to raise the luxury tax uh, cap to something like 240 or $245 million, and that's probably all right because the price of everything is going up. Um, and the clubs are not going to spend any more than they're going to spend anyway. The, the, it only, the salary, the luxury tax only affects a handful of clubs. You know, I think only a couple have paid the tax seriously, two or three of them have paid the tax seriously uh, for more than one or two times, if that. So they always find a way around it. Um, I, I, I don't know that there's anything else. Clark wants something <laughs> that he can show, take back to his people and say, I screwed up the first time, but I really got him on this one this time. Because I think if he doesn't, maybe he's taking early retirement next time. So he's got to get a win of some kind. That's why he hired the, his attack dog. Manfred's got to do something because when you get so scared of bad press that you fire the best sports reporter in the business from your network because he said something you didn't like, that tells me that, boy, you're kind of uh, touchy, touchy about those things. He was right, and you didn't like him telling people he was right. Uh, so I think that he's in more trouble than we think he's in. This is just my reading of the thing. And I think both of them want to get a win. And the problem with that is they can't. They can come out with a good solution, but I don't think they like each other well enough to do that. And it may take the the negotiators from each side who are a step below those guys to say, okay, look, you want to play baseball this year or not? Because if you don't, we're, we can go ahead with this. But if you really want to play and get some people play, paid for a full season of baseball, we need to get this done now. And I think I – when I was talking to the Magnolia Chapter Saber tonight, I, I said, I think Valentine's Day is it. It's time for them to send a Valentine's Day card to each other, <laughs> kiss and make up, have dinner together, swap hot, cho swap chocolates and get a deal done. Because Joel Sherman hit it on the head. You got 300 free agents out there looking for a home. You got teams that need to sign players, trade to be made. Uh, pitchers have to get their work. Uh, Sandy Colfax said people who don't believe spring training it should be done have never picked up a baseball and tried to pitch. Uh, we're hurting pitchers by not doing this. We found that out in 2020. It carried over to some extent to 2021. They need spring training. They got to keep all the games out there. One of the agents told somebody that uh, he he said, "Well, MLB is ready to chuck the all of April schedule." No, they're not. You're going you're going to give away 30 games. Uh, uh, you know, 15 home games, 15 away games, or whatever it turns out to be uh, of money, um, television money, fan money, sponsorship money. You're going to give all that away. You're going to give away a sixth of your season's income. Well, it doesn't work out that way, but you're taking a sixth of the season and giving it up. Well, if you can do that, let's reduce the season by 30 games and uh, and get it back into the warm weather where we're not playing where there's ice and slush on the ground. And maybe we can extend the playoffs at that point. So I just the eight the eight the the playoffs are going to end up with twelve teams because that's halfway between those things are are good but they got to fix service time to manipulation they got to do something with the arbitration system and they got to do something that makes both sides look like they win good luck with that and I don't know what the weapons of choice are for next week's meeting but it should be interesting yeah it'll definitely be interesting I like I said I'm at least glad that 
talks are happening after basically a month and a half of nothing. I think we're going to start to see talks at least pick up, not expecting a deal anytime soon. I think the frustrating thing as a fan is kind of the way you talked about, Fred and Alan. I don't think really any of these topics we're discussing are that hard as far as negotiations. Like you said, split the difference, get a deal done. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but I think it is like you said, Fred. I think there's just so much pride involved on both sides. Neither, If one of them gives in on where they stand, they feel like they're losing, and that that can't be the case in a negotiation. That can't be where your mind set is. And until, you know, one of them decides to give in or either they both come to their common sense and realize, Hey, let's meet in the middle on some of these things and get a deal done and get baseball back. And uh, until that happens, I just, I don't think we're going to see any, any deal actually done, but I like your Valentine's day deadline. I, I really hope there's a deal done by then. My biggest thing is like I've been saying for a while now is because I want to see those pitchers get back on a routine and not have all the injuries again that we had last year. So I'm hoping that that won't be, they won't be affected by that again this year. But like I said, they are meeting again next week. Hopefully that leads to more discussions and hopefully they are starting to pick up the intensity here in these labor negotiations. All right. I'll kick it back to you, Fred, real quick. Anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? Well, I want to talk I, uh, when we talked about moving the mound back last year, I made a statement and I, that's the that statement's not correct. And I want to correct myself. I talked about the, the loss in speed, moving the mound back a foot. And the reason they stopped that in the Atlantic league is simply because a, a baseball lo- loses one mile per hour for every eight feet of travel. Uh, so if you move the, foot, the mound back a foot, uh, a hundred mile an hour fastball looks like a 99 mile an hour fastball. That's, that's not a big difference. I mean, it's a difference, certainly, and it might make a difference between 80 and 90. But when you're talking 97, 98 with movement, it doesn't make any difference. That, that's no good. Um, so I, I, I misspoke on that. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I apologize for that. Uh, the other thing that's, that's all my mind is, I see people who say, well, you know, we can replace Freeman, and I don't think we can do that. I, I have, nobody's yet told me who that guy is, and don't tell me Matt Olson because that's not working. It doesn't work like that. Uh, we, one of the guys tonight said he fe- he works for the Braves, and he said he feels he feels that the front office feel that the, the deal is going to get done. Uh, I hope he's correct. But uh, other than that, I just – I wish they'd stop screwing around with things that don't make any difference and, and get back to making the game better than all this little nitpicking my side, your side crap. They got two, two ball clubs that need new ballparks and they're sitting on the side twiddling their thumbs. And, you know, the, the, the athletics would be in a new ballpark now if San Francisco wasn't being a pain in the butt. Um, these, these, the only player, the only people that, Owners trust less than the players are the other owners. <laughs> I, I just don't understand why they don't work together better. So I, I just wish everybody would think about the game instead of themselves and move on with it. And I'll shut up now. Yeah. Amen. Um, not about you shutting up, but about everybody getting along. Um, and we almost got through this whole podcast without mentioning Freddie Freeman. So thanks for making sure that you, uh, you got ah, that yeah. in there as well. But, Mandatory Freddie yeah. Freeman. Mention. Oh, yeah. Hopefully it does get done. Soon as the ink is dried on this new CBA, I hope a deal 
is done for sure. But Alan, any other last thoughts from you? Yeah, I keep the related to Freddie free, but I'll go ahead and throw in my two cents worth here. If they can get that done and then go get a, a real center fielder, gosh, this team is, could be really, really good. And I think we might be looking at the possibility of a, a repeat uh, World Series title. Alex Anthopoulos is the kind of guy who does smell blood in the water when he uh, sees the uh, opportunity in front of him. Uh, he's definitely been that way with uh, uh, his acquisitions at the trade deadlines, and I got to think that he's got something good for us, I hope, once the CBA gets signed and and we we see uh, player movement start again. So so there's that for what it's worth. Uh, other than that, I don't know that the uh, CBA is going to be that dramatic. I, I think I'm, I'm with you, Jake. There's going to be a lot of compromises here and there, but it may be compromises headed in a direction. It's not going to be everything all at once. I think it, it may be two or three different uh, CBAs down the road before we get a real fundamental change. Uh, but uh, if, if they can start heading in a direction, then then I think that they might be able to get something done here fairly reasonable and reasonably soon. Uh, and that's usually what these negotiations are about, especially from the player's side. You're You're chipping away. They've been chipping away at years, and it's all about just making progress for that side. And it seems like in these talks, for whatever reason, they're just wanting to take it all and get it all done right now. And got to understand, it, it is a process, unfortunately, and you're just going to have to keep making uh, making strides. And uh, hopefully both sides understand that, understand there's got to be a give and take, and hopefully a deal is, is done soon. Yeah, I know Tony Clark really wants a win here, but God, I don't think he's going to be able to get uh, the kind of win that he's looking for. So if he can make progress, that he'll be able to show to his union members and say, we're, we're headed in a good direction. So that, that should be enough, but we'll see if the egos let that happen. A lot of the union members are smarter than that. I've heard members of the, uh, the player reps say virtually what you said. Uh, during this negotiation that they understand they can't fix it all at once. I think that Tony Clark is, is just matter to wet him. I, I think that I don't think he would spit on, on Manfred if he was dying of thirst. And that's bad. And Manfred, he's just a lawyer. He sees the other side as a court, as a side he has to beat. That's his position. And I, I just, I wish it was so different. Even when Marvin Miller was there, um, he was realistic. He was tough. He didn't give in, but he was realistic. And I I just, I just wish it was better. I, but I don't have any prospect of doing that. We're entrenched with it now, and that's the way it's going to be. So uh, it's just a shame. Yeah, it is a shame, and especially when the sport seems like it was such a in a good place, especially for Braves fans, because we just won a World Series. So you hate to kind of see the downer of where the game is right now. But like I said, I'm still optimistic. Hopeful we'll get a deal done here, hopefully in the next month, and hopefully spring training won't be too affected. I'm kind of with what you said earlier, Fred. I don't think regular season gets delayed at all. I just, again, with all these negotiations primarily being about money, it would not make sense for them to leave money on the table and, and cancel games. So I think the regular season is not in jeopardy, but spring training certainly feels like it, it could be. But again, hopefully with talks picking up, 
this coming up week. Hopefully things will will start to get better and we'll see some progress made there. That'll do it for this episode of the Tomahawk Take podcast. Make sure you go to TomahawkTake.com where you can check out all of our written articles. I've been doing a series of scouting reports on Braves prospects that I'm really enjoying. So if you're into Braves prospects, you can go over there and check out those that I've been doing here lately. A lot of other good stuff over there on the site as well during the lockouts. Make sure you go check us out at TomahawkTake.com. Also check us out on Twitter as well at TomahawkTakeFS. Be tweeting out all those stories and other news items throughout the lockout. But again, that will do it for this episode of the Tomahawk Take Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. This compendium of everyone's favorite hot-button baseball topics has combined to form this edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast, which is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc., Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants as we've rejected Minute Media's proposals on that subject. All rights reserved. One of the musical selections used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. This was a piece by Kevin McLeod entitled Batty McFadden which was modified to fit in the available space. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other musical selections used come via rights already purchased by TomahawkDick.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and may you find that your Hall of Fame picks get their 75% share of the votes. Meanwhile, grab a glove and join us out for the next inning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.